This is the Center for Medical Simulations Critical Conversations with Mary Fay. I'm Jenny Rudolph. Mary, I want to talk with you about using the critical conversation approach in the clinical teaching and learning context. And since those are so varied, I think it would be helpful if we had an idea of where this might apply clinically. Mm -hmm. I think this can be applied in clinical experiences between nursing faculty and nursing students. It can be applied really by faculty from any professional school in clinical settings with their learners. I think it can also be really helpful for experienced staff nurses who might be precepting or orienting a new graduate nurse. I think this can also be helpful to physicians who might be teaching medical students or working with residents. It can actually be helpful for a more experienced resident teaching a less experienced resident in the clinical setting. So I think it can be used by a variety of practitioners. So let's talk about applying the three C's, context, content, and course approach in clinical teaching and learning. When I read the book, I was intrigued to see that you had thought about a post-event conversation where you're reflecting with the learner. So that would look fairly similar to a classic debriefing, albeit shorter. But I also saw you had this idea of a pulse check, something that was done sort of during the course of care. Walk us through how this works. So let's say I have a situation where I'm working with a nursing student and she's taking care of a patient and has made a decision to give some pain medicine to the patient, IV narcotics. I walk into the room with a learner. I see that she's ready to give the IV morphine. She's ready to hook it up to the patient's IV. I happen to look at the patient's monitor and notice that the patient is quite hypotensive. I would not want that morphine to be given. So in the clinical setting, unlike simulation, I've got to stop that action from happening. I cannot let that happen. So I stop the nurse, nursing student, from giving the morphine. We regroup. We leave the room. That's when I'm going to have this conversation. To apply the three C's here, context is attending to the emotional fallout, and it could be pretty significant now. You know, any healthcare practitioner or student is going to be pretty upset if they almost make a mistake that could have had a negative effect on a patient. So I've got to attend to the emotional responses first, and that could actually take a while. It may be that the student needs to get off the unit to take a break for a little while, and I've got to give that person that space. Then when we move into content, what I really want to understand now is what was the thought process leading up to entering that room and getting ready to give that medication without checking the blood pressure. Let me just rewind for one second, Mary. I heard you talk about the emotional reactions and helping her connect with how she might be feeling and, and, and process that. But it strikes me that part of the problem here was that there was some judgment error or, or diagnostic mistake in terms of not recognizing the risk of giving the morphine. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't hear you talk about patient story or mm-hmm. the clinical context mm-hmm. in the context section. Right. I'm thinking that needs to be there. Mm-hmm. How am I doing? Am I on track? What's, mm-hmm. what's your mm-hmm. thought? No, I think it absolutely does need to be there. Jenny, I think that sometimes separating that, gathering the patient's story from attending to the emotions can be a good idea because I think someone who's super emotionally activated like this student may have been really is not going to be in a place where they can gather data and, and transmit that data to me for me to see if they really understood the patient's story. So I, I think there can be a separation between attending to the emotional reactions and then diving into the patient's story before you move into content. So this may be getting a little bit into the weeds here, Mary, but if I don't, as the learner, understand why that was a serious mistake, I might not have the emotional fallout. Mm-hmm. So uh, although I understand and appreciate the value of giving some space for them to process their emotions, mm-hmm. If they're like, huh, what's the big deal? 
<laughs> who cares if I gave the morphine? So I can imagine those two are linked in some way. I, and as, yeah. as an educator, you have to make some choices about when to get cognitive when somebody's having some emotions and when to help them understand what they were doing. Is there a rule of thumb or two that you could help somebody in this situation understand? Like somebody's about to push morphine, you stop them. You actually don't even know whether they understand whether that was a bad idea or not. And I think at that moment in the patient's room is not the time to figure out if they understand if it was a big deal or not. That's going to take place outside the patient's room. It, it could just be that people have a range of emotional responses. It also can be that a lack of an emotional response may be somewhat diagnostic that the person didn't understand the gravity of the situation, which is going to guide more what I do in the content section. One of our colleagues, Laura Rock, often talks about emotion before cognition or emotion as a symptom whether it's high or low emotion of underlying thought processes. Mm -hmm. And so what I hear you saying here is whether the learner has a strong emotional reaction or not, both of those are signs and symptoms for you Mm -hmm. as the educator as to what to do in the next step. For me, this is a bit of an aha about the importance of that context step. So I want to move on now. Let's assume that you've had some chance to process with the learner Mm -hmm. about how they were feeling, and maybe you've done some orientation as to the fact that the patient was hypotensive and therefore morphine Mm -hmm. is not indicated Mm -hmm. in that context. What's going to happen in the next part of the conversation where you're analyzing what happened? In the next part, I am going to seek to understand the, the learner's thinking. I would employ the advocacy inquiry technique to ask some questions to begin the conversation. And so what that might sound like is... So Jenny, we walked into the patient's room to administer some morphine. When we got in there, I noticed that the patient's blood pressure was 90 over 60. You were going to give the morphine despite the patient's blood pressure and I stopped you. I need to understand how you were seeing that situation that led you to think that giving the morphine was still okay. You know, I wouldn't want to say something like, you didn't care about the patient's blood pressure. I don't know if she noticed it or not. I also wouldn't want to say you didn't notice the patient's blood pressure because Maybe she did, and for some reason thought that it was still okay. So I need a super open-ended question that dates exactly what I saw, and then I try to understand the learner's thinking. And it, and it can take a while, and there could be maybe several more deepening questions as we try to get to the root. Okay, so you're going to describe what you saw the learner do. You're right. going to share your insight as to what the implications of that mm-hmm. might be. And then now you're saying ask a really open-ended question. Right. What kinds of things have you heard in that context? I have heard things like, my patient was in pain, I just wanted to solve the problem and get my patient out of pain. I've had people say, well, you know, I saw blood pressure of 90 over 60, and I actually looked back and trended the patient's blood pressure for the previous few hours, and it had been 90 over 60, so I thought that was normal for that patient. That's a really, actually valid and pretty smart way to think about it, to trend uh, blood pressures. That's also an example of how, while I may think I have the whole story, I don't, and maybe my learner can fill in some blanks that can help me understand the story. Connecting to an important idea in the Critical Conversations book, you're really committed to seeing learners as meaning makers rather than simply doers of correct or incorrect Mm -hmm. actions. And here's an example of when you explored the learner's thinking, you found out maybe the blood pressure wasn't as problematic as you, the preceptor, thought, Mm -hmm. and or that they didn't appreciate the contraindication to giving morphine in a patient who's already hypotensive. How does that change what we do as a teacher? Oh, it's a great, that's a, a great question. 
Well, you know, in those two examples, the two branching examples, one can become an opportunity for improved practice. And so if I hear from the learner, I just wanted to relieve their pain and didn't check the vital signs, then that becomes a lesson in us understanding that sometimes even the best goals we have as care providers can still cause us to skip important safety steps along the way. And so, you know, then we can have an important conversation about setting goals, but maintaining safety. In the other example of the nursing student who actually trended the patient's blood pressure and understood that this was normal for them, that becomes an exemplar to other students. And so I would take that opportunity in maybe in a post-conference conversation to bring up the story, tell the clinical story, and then have that student talk about the thinking that went into this decision to give morphine. Because I think that often as educators, we spend a lot of time talking to students about mistakes they made and things they've done wrong, and we don't help them to appreciate when their practice is actually exceeding our expectations. So when we know the learner's thinking, not just uh, coach them on their actions, it gives you information you need to really guide them at a deeper level, whether it's some appreciation for their thinking or some critique for something that needs to be mm-hmm. you know, thought about differently. So let's move on to the last phase now, which is the course, mm-hmm. uh, label the course, thinking about the future a bit. Mm-hmm. So we talked about setting the context for a learner, whether it's right after something's happened or as a pulse check about how they're doing talked about analyzing it in the middle in a content type conversation, and now we're thinking about moving toward the future. In the clinical context, how do you think about this course? You know, I think about this course phase in clinical is unlike a simulation, which can be an isolated event that happens once or twice per semester, students who have repeated clinical experiences every week as they do across the semester, it becomes a real building process of building the knowledge, building the knowledge, building the knowledge. And so I think it's important in setting the course in clinical to constantly be activating their prior knowledge. Think about what we learned last week or last month and how does what we learned today layer on top of that. So it really becomes a way for them to sort of increase their knowledge base, for them to develop a store of clinical stories that they can pull from. Well, I remember this patient last week and I approach pain management that way. And this one now, here's this one this week, it's a little bit different. And so helping them really develop some kind of cognitive flexibility so they can take what they know about pharmacology and pain management and apply it in many different contexts. So I'd like to wrap up this conversation, Mary, by asking you to help us understand how the critical conversations 3C approach is unique in teaching and learning in the clinical context? You know, I think one of the important nuances of the clinical context is the timing issues around having these conversations in clinical. You know, in simulation, we often have the the luxury of a long debriefing. Sometimes in clinical, we don't have that luxury. It's gotta be much shorter, a 10 minute conversation after an event has happened, or it often is delayed because something may happen during the clinical day that I as the instructor don't actually witness but I find out about it later through my student or through the preceptor, and so we may have a delayed conversation in post-conference, and I may be talking about something I haven't really seen, but I can still explore my student's thinking around that issue. And then one of the other unique things to the clinical setting is this idea of doing a little pulse check. And a pulse check, the way we think about it is checking in with a learner before they're about to do something just to make sure that they've thought about all of the relevant patient information that should have gone into the decision that they made for the action that they're about to take. And that's a much shorter conversation. I didn't hear you mention that uh, I could imagine would be really significant is if 
in the clinical context, I either have made a nursing error, medical error, or mm -hmm. I've had a near miss, mm -hmm. or I've had an amazing pickup or an amazing save or an amazing, you know, catch myself. The feeling of either regret or exhilaration if I've done mm -hmm. something well could be really different mm -hmm. than in simulation or in the classroom. Can you just talk a little bit about the emotional experience? Yeah, I think the emotions can be so much stronger in clinical because I think it's much more closely tied to the professional identity that, that learners are developing when they're in clinical. And I think it really gets at the heart of this thing that means so much to them, which is providing good patient care. Most health profession students take a lot of pride in what they're doing and take very seriously taking care of the patients. And so I think that just sets them up for a much wider range of emotional responses because it's so tied to their professional identity. You know, hearing you say that, I immediately start comparing and contrasting identity-related feelings or threats or builders in clinical and in simulation. And I know that when people make mistakes in simulation, they often feel it as kind of an identity threat. But what occurred to me here is if I, as a provider in a simulation, make a mistake and colleagues or peers see me make it and my preceptor sees me make it, I might feel embarrassed. I might feel some regret that I wasn't demonstrating my highest level of competence, but I don't have the feeling of, oh my God, I, I've hurt this other human being. And so I think there's two different kind of identity threats. In sim, it's more like my competence has been shown to be lacking and that feels crappy versus in real clinical, I, I messed up in my care here and I could have hurt another human. Mm -hmm. Very different mm -hmm. and possibly requiring some different moves from mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you, the educator. Yeah, and you know, Jenny, along those lines, I think that I, I could even see in some time, in some instances, attending to the emotional fallout from an incident may take place a day or even days before you get to the in-depth. Because I think that people who are really emotionally devastated about a mistake they might have made, they're, they're not in a space where they can have a reflective cognitive conversation. So we've gotten to a fairly serious spot right here, and I want to kind of pull us out back to the idea of critical conversations. Mm -hmm. What I think is very exciting about the approach is it gives a simple, portable context content course, same thing in every clinical context. I can use my same approach everywhere, and I just uh, want to celebrate that you know, kind of ingenuity of you and Sue Forneris to come up with something that's so easily memorable and portable mm -hmm. that we can take across different clinical contexts. One of our missions and, you know, consistent with the mission of the NLN is really to provide tools for educators to do their jobs more easily. And that's exactly what we were hoping to achieve with this guide is giving nurse educators a way to structure conversations that was kind of user-friendly and easy to remember.